the Scholars in Iron podcast. I'm not only representing myself, I'm representing, you know, my family, a community of people. Even though the adaptive community and the handicapped community is so big, but it's small at the same time, There's, it's just like any other industry where people think that, you know, it's competitive, but I'm like, no, because whether it's a victory for handicapped fitness or a victory for another organization within that same realm, it's a victory for all of us because at the end of the day, we all have one mission, and that's just to get out there and show people what's possible and prove to the world, hey, this is what this population is capable of. Good morning. And welcome to the Scholars in Iron podcast. I'm your host, Joe, coming to you from outside the nation's capital, right here in the DMV. The objective of Scholars in Iron is very straightforward. It's to associate strength training with intellectual endeavors. On the show, we'll examine the connection between capitalism and CrossFit, philosophy and powerlifting, all to raise some hell and even a few questions. By the end of each episode, we'll get one rep closer to living the phrase, Civilize the mind, but make savage the body. Now come on, let's lift. In ancient Greek mythology, Hephaestus is the god of fire, also known by the Romans as Vulcan. Arguably the most ingenious of the gods of Olympus, Hephaestus is also incredibly powerful, and in Book 21 of Homer's The Iliad, he nearly destroys the infamous river Xanthus during the Trojan War. And yet Hephaestus walked with a limp, crippled at childbirth by his own mother, Hera, queen of the gods. He was mocked for his disability by some, but revered by others. And while the gods of ancient Greece are of course allegorical, writer Joseph Campbell explained that even back then, they were understood to illuminate the motivations of those who feel impelled to seek out adventure, to right a wrong, or to defy the odds, no matter how high they are stacked against them. James Norris has cerebral palsy. It's not something that one catches or inherits, but a condition he had in his earliest days as an infant. And I spoke to him about his life with CP, the topic of ableism, and how he came to establish handicapable fitness. I'm... 34 years old, and when I was born, I was born premature, and then I was born fine, but I had a hernia. So I went in for a hernia operation, and when I was in there, uh, the mask that provided oxygen to my brain came off. The doctors, the nurses didn't, didn't realize it, so my brain was without air for five and a half minutes which caused the cerebral palsy. But they didn't say anything to my family or, or anything like that. About a year, year and a half or so, my parents realized I wasn't hitting certain milestones. It might have happened around two. So they brought me into Boston Children's Hospital, and within 10 minutes, they discovered that I had cerebral palsy. Then, growing up, my family never treated me any different. In fact, I almost think that they held me to a higher standard because of the CP, because they they never wanted that to be a crutch of, you know, my life. So they always pushed me 
to do good in school, and then if I got a bad grade in school, you know, not only did I have to answer to my parents, but I also had to answer to my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, that whole thing. But growing up through school, I was somewhat picked on from time to time, but overall not too much. But then I was still really shy, and I think a lot of that had to do with the cerebral palsy. I was never really outgoing. Like, you would never see me at, you know, parties or, or a Friday night football game or something like that because I just wasn't really confident in myself and who I was. I always thought that, you know, people were either talking to me because they felt bad for my cerebral palsy and they're like, oh, well, we have to go up and talk to this guy, you know, just to, just to make him feel better or, you know, they weren't talking to me because of my cerebral palsy. So every day in school, I would go to school, do my work, come home. In Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces, the author writes that what is indeed necessary for one to make a transition into something unexpected is to be cut off from the world of the familiar, of one's own self, to be in the proverbial belly of the whale, or as Campbell writes, willing to undergo a metamorphosis. I knew I couldn't play sports, so I would always listen to sports radio, and I just happened to hear a sports talk radio commercial for broadcasting school. So I said, you know what, let me, let me just see what this is about. So I ended up doing that, and I was fortunate enough to or get an internship and then work in Boston radio for six years where I did production and, you know, some voiceover work and that sort of thing. And then while I was at the Boston radio station, I had the opportunity to go work for a production company in California. And once I was like, well, you never know, like, who you could meet, what elbows you were going to rub. So I took the chance and moved to California. And about six months into working at the production company, they came to me and said, you know what, like, we're going to have to make some layoffs. And unfortunately, you're one of them. So I went from having this active lifestyle to always going to concerts, sporting events, interacting with listeners and fans, and just this really social life to not really doing much of anything because here in Boston, I use a ride service that comes to my house and picks me up and brings me to where it is I have to go. And But out in California during that time, they didn't have that. So I kind of fell into a depression, you know, started started to really eat unhealthy, you know, drink alcohol, and just really develop some, some unhealthy habits. I moved back to Boston, was fortunate enough to get my job back at the old radio station. But I remember coming home from work one day, and I live on the second floor of my house. So I was coming up the stairs, and I was sweating like I ran the Boston Marathon. And I was like, man, I'm only 20-something. I have to, I have to do something about this. So there was a local gym right up the street from my house, so I joined. And I knew nothing about working out. You know, I never really grew up into that fitness and nutrition lifestyle. So I'd literally go to the gym every day and do the same workout. And a trainer saw me, and he's like, man, I see you in here every day. You're dedicated. 
you're really pushing yourself. He goes, let me design a program for you around your challenges and your goals. And uh, one thing led to another, and I slowly started to see the weight come off. And the cool part about it was I was just taking videos of myself doing doing all these different exercises and all these different movements because I just wanted to document it to show my friends and family, you know, in California or wherever it was, you know, the different things I was able to do because this was the first time that I was able to do something like that. Never in a million years did I think that this would turn into handicapped fitness and what, what it is now. As I started to document my own journey and post these things just on my own personal social media, my trainer said, you know what? He goes, you know, you should think about starting a public account. And that's how Handicapable Fitness was born. So I, so I started to post, you know, my workouts and stuff. And then I was, and I said to myself, well, if I'm out here doing this, there has to be other people that are doing the same things. So I started to highlight them and show the things that they were overcoming regardless of their challenge. And one thing led to another, and last November, I participated in the first ever Paris Spartan Race in Lachlan, Nevada, which was three and a half miles through the desert, 21 different obstacles. It was me and another individual that had a spinal cord injury. We did the open and we did it with a group of able-bodied people to help us get through the race, but it originally started out as maybe four or five of us, and as we were doing this race, people were seeing this as they were running, and they're like, we want to join in with these guys, so as we crossed the finish line, we were probably, you know, 30 people deep on our team. I mean, we, we were on each other's backs, going over cargo nets, up A-frame walls, and one thing led to another, and it was just really an incredible experience. And then I said, you know what? Like this is this is this is my passion. This is what this is what I was put here to do. Check out James's account on Instagram or any others of folks who are differently abled. One thing you'll notice is the extreme dedication and sheer strength on display—a kind of strength that, in my opinion, able-bodied people can't possibly know about. Whether it's James Norris, Casey Mitchell, Miles Taylor, or any other, it is their can-do attitude and lack of excuses which one kind of help but admire. So it's hard to imagine that there is something like ableism, the prejudice against those who have a disability, the fact that it's actually present in our society. And so I asked James what his take was on that. But I also wanted to know that beyond setting himself as an example for others, how he responds to those who may be reluctant to train due to their disability. You know what? At the end of the day, when it comes to when it comes to the prejudice that people may have, um, I think it's kind of. I mean, there's two ways to look at it. You can look at it as okay, they're they're, they're being jerks and they're being ignorant. But I think the majority of the cases that you that you find is that it's just basically the fear of the unknown. You know, because because just just with cerebral palsy alone there's so many there's so many different effects that it could have on somebody like for me i probably have a slighter case of it but i also know 
other people that have an even more spider case that can that can actually walk without crutches or a walker, um, and they just walk with a limp, or one of the, one of their arms has more tone to it than than the other side. Um, but then I also know other people that have speech impediments, drooling problems. So just just with CP alone, there's so many different avenues. Um, now you take that um, into the able-bodied world, you know, and there's there's so much to learn. You know, there there really is, and I think I think most of the time, nine times out of ten, you run into people that are just they they don't know, and they and they're they're very hesitant to go up and ask because they don't want that person that has whatever the challenge is to feel offended. You know, they're like, okay, well, this person already has it hard enough, so I'm not going to go up and ask that question because I don't want to look stupid or I don't want to offend. And not to make this about me, but that's one of the things that I try to do is I try to is I try to tell people, like, I'm completely an open book, whether whether how embarrassing the question may be or or you know how crazy you think the question may be, come up and ask it to me because I consider myself an educator and by me talking to them and by me educating them, I want them to feel comfortable next time they're in that situation um, to go up and, and to interact with that person with the challenge or to take those nerves away. Um, and to answer the second part of your question, um, with somebody that has a challenge when they don't think that they can do something, um, I think it's, yes, there's, there's, there's different challenges, obviously, physically, like for, like for somebody with CP, there's a lot of tone issues, and there's a lot more stuff to overcome than your average, everyday person. But um, I think it's just starting, starting them off small, you know, with, and going back to that mindset of we always hear about setting small goals that will be little victories in each day. And it's, it's building that foundation so that you get that person to, you know, maybe curl a five-pound weight or five pull-downs, whatever the case may be, and get them to realize those small victories. Because if you set somebody up, whether they're able-bodied or not and they're overweight or they have a challenge, and somebody goes in to do a workout, you know, if, if you absolutely annihilate that person and, and just, like, beat the crap out of them to where they're sore the next day, why would they want to wake up and do that to themselves each day? Yeah, we hear about, okay, well, that soreness is only going to last a little bit. But oftentimes for people that aren't into fitness, that's all it's going to take. So you've got to start people off small and build their confidence. And as they build that confidence, you're going to see them open up and shift their mindset a little more. Acta non verba translates to deeds, not words. And I think it's fitting that training and working out powerful expressions of this Latin phrase. James's own ascent into the world of fitness thrusted him not only as an educator, but also as a role model. And so I asked him about those whom he has helped along the way. That that young man that I met in Rockland last year during the Spartan race, he 
was very comfortable in, you know, just living his everyday life. And going back to that previous question about getting people to realize, like, what what they're capable of or them not thinking that they're capable enough. You know, I just slowly integrated, like I said before, those little victories. And I would say to him, like, okay, now this week, you know, I want you to go out and use your, your freedom chair, which is a special wheelchair that we use for the Spartan race. It's a off-road wheelchair. So it's basically like a mountain bike in a wheelchair form, you know, and you have to pump it with your arms. So I would encourage him every week. I'd be like, okay, I want you to go out and use your freedom chair for, you know, a half hour this week. Or he he would send me videos, and I'd be like, hey, you know what? I really like that video, but I noticed that your trainer was doing a little bit more of the work than what you were doing. What's going on with that? And, you know, as much as you want to reward them for, you know, the positive feedback, you also want to hold them accountable. And over that time, you know, I've seen his confidence grow. He wants to push himself. Um, and he just had a local news story done on him. And his CP a lot of times affects his communication skills. And he spoke so clearly, and you could just see the confidence radiating off of him there's another little boy, nine years old. I just met him maybe three, four months ago now. I met him at the Abilities Expo here in Boston, and he saw that freedom chair, the same off-road wheelchair that, that I was using, and I saw that he really, you know, when he saw the chair, he really lit up. And I said, hey, do you want to try this? So I, and he's like, yeah, so... I, I jumped out, he jumped in, and he took off. And he came back, and he says, you know, can we be friends? And so I was like, absolutely. So about a half hour later, he had texted me, and he goes, hey, this is Logan. You know, again, I just want to make sure that we can be friends. It was, it was so awesome. I'm like, of course. So a couple weeks ago, I met the family at Dave and & Buster's, and we just played video games because his mother was like, you know, he's never really seen anybody like him before. And over time, he had saw a video of me working out, and his mother shared with me that, that he now takes her 10-pound weight every day after school and goes and works out so he can be like James. So when, when we met at Dave & Buster's that day, I told him, I said, you know, man, I said, I want you to do your exercises so so you can be strong and everything. And I said, I need I need you to, you know, practice your stretching and go up and down the stairs and do the things that your mom and your physical therapist, you know, tell you to do. And his mom sent me a text that next day, and she goes, Logan was up at 6 a.m. going up and down the stairs saying, I have to do this because I promised James. One thing I got in speaking with James was that he wasn't just another fitness personality on Instagram, but that he truly has heart behind what he does, and for whom. Next year, he intends on making Handicapable Fitness a nonprofit to help others in the differently abled community to get moving and provide access to equipment and qualified trainers. It's a big move, so I asked him to give a message for those in his community and beyond. 
anything that you want in this life, you can do if you just put in the work, surround yourself with, you know, a great group of people that will push you. And, you know, you were put here for a reason to give a gift to this world that only you can give. Don't look at your, whatever your challenge is, as a disadvantage. Look at, look at it as an advantage because eventually if you really go after your dreams and whatever you're passionate about, that's exactly what will happen. Like I think of my CP as an absolute blessing because it's opened up so many different avenues and so many doors for me and anybody can do that. You know, it's just a matter of building building your confidence and, and realizing your strength and really working on those strengths. That's all we have for today, guys. I just want to thank James Norris of Handicapable Fitness for the great chat and the great inspiration. Music by Robert Slump. For Scholars and Iron, this is Joe, signing off.